Actually, this is kind of sad. <laughs> now that I'm looking at it, I wasn't even going to share this, but this is really sad. This is pathetic. I'm calling it. This is absolutely pathetic. Only about half of small and mid-sized firms are even on LinkedIn. Just, just so sad. I mean, come on, guys. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we are on vacation, but we're still coming to you because we're dedicated to the craft of podcasting. So you're not at home either? No, well, I am at home, but I mean, these days, normally I work from the office or I do the podcast from the office. Okay. Uh, But yeah, I'm at home on vacation until the uh, uh, end of the year. That's good. That's good. I'm quote unquote on vacation as well. I'm up in Phoenix. I'm in my sister's house. So there's like five kids running around, dogs. (laughs) So if you guys hear some background noise, it's it's just ambiance, ambiance. That's what's going on. Likewise, likewise. This is the week of predictions, right? Every accounting publication, everybody with a pen who can put it to paper is making predictions for 2019. So I thought, David, that we should make predictions. But in in the interest of not boring everyone to death, instead of doing that thing where you make 10 predictions, let's each just make one prediction. We could do that. that, that I, I predict that. No, all right, I'm kidding. I, I was going to do that one. I was going to make a comment about how many browser tabs I've opened trying to plow through everybody else's predictions. But I, I won't touch on that. Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go? It's up to you. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go on this. So okay. um, let's let's just preface these. Let's not make our predictions right now. Let's Let's just look at some of the trends before we get into our own predictions. So um, I I found this uh, article called 2019 Hiring and Compensation Trends for Accounting Firms in CPA Practice Advisor. Basically, it's it's copying and pasting. Well, that's unfair. It's summarizing uh, the results of the annual Robert Half Salary Guide for Accounting and Finance Professionals, where they do a very nice survey and, and try to come up with trends about uh, compensation in accounting, right? And I think we talked about that when it was released before a little bit. Did we really? Uh, I hope I'm not rehashing. To summarize, competition continues to be fierce. This is no surprise. It's getting harder and harder to find accountants. Nine in 10 finance executives reported challenges finding skilled professionals to fill open positions. Salary expectations are rising. 46% of U.S. workers responding to their survey say they're underpaid in their current position. That is uh, problematic if you aren't keeping pace. Also, more organizations are using extras as, as a retention tool. So bonuses, vacation days, including perks such as flexible work schedules and social events. This is interesting. The the salary guide this year found a disconnect between what professionals value and what organizations provide. Number two and three for workers are compressed work weeks and telecommuting. That's number two and three on workers' wish lists, but only 20%, fewer than 20% of employers offer those perks. So is this uh, one reason we're seeing so many people try to go out on their own? Because then you you get those two perks if you're on your own. You get a bunch of new headaches, but you, at least you get those two perks. You can control yeah, your work exactly. weekend, work anywhere you want. I think that's that's a, a big reason. More accounting firms are offering a or embracing a flexible staffing model, leveraging the gig economy, and technology is is taking center stage. So uh, firms are starting to realize that they need to look for accountants with technological proficiency as well. The I mean, staffing is going to be, maybe this is your prediction, maybe, you know, about staffing, but staffing is going to be a continuing headache going forward. A lot of the change in the profession is going to be driven by 
staffing, right? The inability to find talent to retain talent, it's going to drive technology adoption, automation, artificial intelligence, uh, because that's where the rubber meets the road. Yep. What do you got, David? So I I literally have 40 browser tabs open and most people's (laughs) predictions are cloud, right? Uh, Automation, like it's it's all the same stuff we talk about every week. So I I had this grandiose goal, like, hey, we'll we'll put, go through all these posts, talk about everybody's top things, and after forty tabs open, the number one thing is cloud accounting's coming in twenty nineteen. I'm just starting to find it very hard to do. But based on my searching, though, I did find an amazing article. This was published December thirty first, nineteen eighty three. Well, this is an article in that, in the Star. I think I was I was born in 1983. Oh, this is perfect. So uh, <laughs> there's a little background on this article. I'm going to say his name, and you're going to correct me on the correct pronunciation. So it's uh, Isaac Asimov, which I think I nailed. Just I think now. you got it right. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So he was asked to write an article on the dawn of 1984. Oh, and I, we should we should preface this by saying for our listeners who are not sci-fi nerds. I know there may not be that many of you out there, but, but Isaac Asimov was a famous sci-fi writer. And so in 1984 is in reference to George Orwell's book, 1984. So this is basically on the eve of 1984, December 31st, which is 35 years ago, which is basically his predictions of the world for 2019. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool read. And, and some of it is so accurate. I had to keep checking. Is this like a fake article? Like, did somebody stage yeah. this? So, okay, he missed on the nuclear war. United States and Russia have not blown each other up yet. So we missed on a little bit of that. Okay. But he really goes into computerization. And before I join that, he also predicted a bunch of stuff about us mining the moon. So he was maybe a little off hmm. on that. But there's this huge space race happening, right? But we're not digging holes in the moon, right? Just as of yet this, yeah. uh, this year. But, but I mean, we could, we could be not too long from now. That's one of the... That's one of the goals of all this private space exploration. But he's really nailed what's happened with computerization. And I I would have assumed maybe he traveled in a time machine and listened to our podcast for the last year and then went back and wrote this article. Because he talks in this article (laughs) about um, these devices that are this computerized mobile object and about uh, robots and um, how it's going to time. So let me see a couple of things we've touched on this year that he talks about in here. So he... Well, he's talking in here about jobs disappearing yes. from computerization. Yes. He says, well, this is really interesting. The immediate effect of intensifying computerization will be, of course, to change utterly our work habits. This has happened before. Before the Industrial Revolution, the vast majority of humanity was engaged in agriculture and indirectly allied professions. After industrialization, the shift from the farm to the factory was rapid and painful. With computerization, the new shift from the factory to something new will be still more rapid and, in consequence, still more painful. It is not that computerization is going to mean fewer jobs as a whole, for technological advance has always in the past created more jobs than it has destroyed, and there is no reason to think that won't be true now, too. However, the jobs created are not identical with the jobs that have been destroyed, and in similar cases in the past, the change has never been so radical. That's exactly what we were talking about. Uh, like. Last week. Yeah. And he even goes in there. Uh, this, this article even talks about how the government is going to provide some, um, some sort of a welfare arrangement and support for these people that can't be retrained. Like we, we, we talked about that a week ago or two weeks ago. So, so uh, let's repeat. This was written in 1983. And he's talking about, Asimov is talking about how the jobs that appear will involve the design, manufacture, and installation, maintenance, and repair of computers and robots. And talking about intelligent machines. 
Yeah, because the jobs that are going to go away, he says, routine clerical and assembly line jobs that are simple enough, repetitive enough, stultifying enough to destroy the finely Mm -hmm. balanced minds of those human beings that are unfortunate enough to have to do those years over years over years to earn a living. And so essentially we talk about bookkeeping all the time. It's being replaced by robots and technology. And so this article really, he just nails a lot of these topics we talk about. Sure, the moon stuff's interesting to read about, the mining the moon, but (laughs) but really the the rest of this about computerization. Now he misses social media. I think a lot of people did not see social media coming the last 10 years. Right. But all the rest of computing and robotics and automation and uh, the computer revolution... Um, really, he has it nailed. It. He nailed it all. Well, check it out. That'll be in the show notes. Hey, so bringing it back to accounting, David. Yes. Uh, accounting Today put out their year ahead for accounting 2019 and numbers article that they do every year. They do an annual survey. I can share some results from that. Yeah, I'm trying to find that tab. It's like 50 tabs open here. <laughs> the, this so, is the numbers one, right? Your accounting numbers. I got yeah, it. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So let's, there's quite a lot in here. Uh, interesting in the divide between small, medium, and large firms, the biggest challenge for small and medium firms is the new uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, right? Dealing with all the changes in the tax law, because I think most small and medium firms tend to focus on tax still. Large firms, that's their secondary concern. Their biggest concern by far, 62% say that recruiting and retaining good employees is the hardest thing for them. And I think that makes sense because working for a large firm kind of sucks most of the time because they haven't embraced remote and flexible work. And 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 that's what people want, as we just discussed yep, yep. earlier, right? That's, that's, that's my uh, theory about this anyway. Let's see what else in here. Oh, interesting. The percentage of firms requiring staff to work all Saturdays during busy season is down six percentage points from last year. And that's despite the new tax law. Uh, The drop is roughly the same across all sizes of firms, but small firms remain the least likely to require the Saturday commitment, with only 28% enforcing it against 35% of mid-sized firms and 47% of large firms. So that that number is shocking to me, that nearly half of large firms require all their tax staff to come in on on Saturdays during busy season, even if they've got their work done. Just God, no wonder nobody wants to work there. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm trying to uh, you know, come up with a comment and, and so sort I of tie it back to office, right? When, when he comes over and he asks him to work on Saturday and I could just envision it's kind of that same thing. Oh, you're talking about uh, the, the, the movie Office Space? Office Space, yes. Office Space, sorry. Yeah. 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 Kind of that. I love that. I love that movie. It's like that, right? Nobody wants to work for a company where you're required to work on Saturdays. Incentivize people. Let them work hard all week, and then they can take the Saturday off, even during busy season. It shouldn't be mandatory. Anyway, I could I could talk about that I, all day long. I'm surprised that 10% plan to add payroll as a service offering. Yes. Yeah, so this is the areas of growth yeah. part of the survey. Uh, so um, payroll is payroll is currently one of the uh, most widely offered services uh, in addition to tax and audit. Currently, 58% of firms do payroll for their clients and 10% will add it. Now, I believe, I'm not sure because I don't, I haven't seen the detailed data, but I'm pretty sure this means you know, either doing it in-house or using a payroll service to run payroll. It's got to be. It's got to be use a payroll service because there's there's not enough margin. Hardly anyone it. does payroll themselves yeah, anymore. And, yeah. uh, and from my, most people hate doing it. And on top of that, there's the whole pushing the liability off, right? Off of your firm. Yeah. So it's just, it's just that 10% more are going to add payroll when I feel like I talked to a lot of people and they're going to get out of payroll. Was well, that silly to me? Because it is such a high margin service if you do it right. 
Yeah. But it requires a lot of touches with the clients. So you've got to have really good customer service. We'll talk about customer service because that's another article that I've got here. So 10% more are going to add payroll. Currently, 42% of firms offer CAS, outsourced accounting, client accounting services. 15% will add that. That's going to be the largest area of growth. So if this holds true, by the end of 2019, by 2020, more than half of accounting firms will be offering CAS, which is really exciting because that's, that's a tipping point for sure. And in the world of technology and cybersecurity consulting, currently only 21% of firms offer that service, which is crazy to me considering how lucrative it is. Uh, they just don't have the skill set, I imagine, right? But they want to. So that's growing by 10%, which, you know, it's a small base growing from 21% by another 10%. But I mean, that's, that's pretty dramatic growth for something that's so small right now. And I think that it's in demand. And I think you have another article to talk about that. But I think even Intuit always had numbers like that, that small businesses that work with an account or bookkeeper are just more successful because the small businesses right now are making these decisions on their own. Right? They need this yeah. help. Yeah. yeah. So those are my two 2019 um, trends. I guess they're not really predictions so much as they are just surveys and trends, but that's where we're headed, right? Both in terms of what accounting firms are focusing on and what the talent market is is going toward. Yeah, the uh, they have a little bit about their social media. Uh, like apparently, large firms are all about the LinkedIn and less and a little less about the Twitter. But overall, firms tend to use Twitter a little less. But they're definitely um, yeah. big on the LinkedIn. Almost seventy one percent are involved in the in the LinkedIn action. I found that uh, yeah, Twitter is kind of a dead zone. I, from a networking perspective and from a prospecting perspective, for sure, you're not going to meet clients on Twitter, I don't think, very often. But it's a lot of fun just for talking with other people who are out there, like on social media. Like you and I, David, we have a good time on Twitter. Yeah. And maybe the big firms don't realize maybe their employees are on Twitter. They're just keeping it under wraps a little bit. They have some free... Yeah. yeah. So this this chart that... So this chart you're looking at is saying, is your firm involved in any of these platforms? To me, that means, does your firm have an account, right? Yeah. So actually, this is kind of sad. <laughs> now that I'm looking at it, I wasn't even going to share this, but this is really sad. This is pathetic. Okay. I'm calling it. This is absolutely pathetic. Only about half of small and mid-sized firms are even on LinkedIn. Just, just so sad. I mean, come on, guys. Like... I don't know. Maybe we should start a business, David, and just charge people a thousand bucks to set them up on LinkedIn because coaching <laughs> it's so easy. It's so easy. And, and LinkedIn's and kind of like a business card. I think in all these services, like it's kind of a it business is a card business card. Point, I don't, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have business cards. I do not bring them to conferences most of the time because one, I forget them. And two, LinkedIn is way more useful. Just connect on there. And what's sad is only 71% of large firms, which have marketing budgets for sure, are on LinkedIn. Like, what are those CMOs doing? What are those marketing people doing that they're not on LinkedIn? Jesus. The other 30% <laughs> at large firms? The other, like, no. like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like sometimes maybe I should just go work in marketing for an accounting firm because like, or just all of them because all they're so them. bad at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so similar numbers are on Facebook, about half of the small and medium, mid-sized firms, slightly more large ones. And again, like nobody's on Twitter, but don't worry about Twitter. You don't need to be there. I don't think as a firm, you definitely don't. So I did find an article about um, top 10 accounting marketing trends for 2019, since you just got so fired up about the marketing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I saw that too. What's, uh, what stands out to you from that? So, so this was on accounting web. Things, everybody's all hot on the Google business listing stuff. I think that's a big one now. Because I think you uh, mm-hmm. you have to optimize for that, especially if your your site doesn't um, support mobile. Yeah, so that was the point that 
make sure that your your accounting firm is listed or your is listed on uh, Google as a business, which is also one of those no brainer things that you should be doing because it improves your Google ranking. Yeah, and then it kind of carries through to we were just talking about LinkedIn and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like search is moving and paid search and paid ads is really moving a little bit from Google to the social networks. Yeah. So you can't run a, an ad, a Facebook ad or a LinkedIn ad for your, for your firm if you're not actually on those services. So it's kind of, you know, this, it's, it's, it really goes right along to what you were just talking about. Yeah. Uh, re- reviews, video. I've seen video show up in a couple posts. Like video is really, you know, make it a priority this year. Like it's, it, I'm not, I'm not well, saying that's the theme I'm getting, pro- you know. The problem with the problem with video is it's hard. It's really hard to pull it off and it takes a lot of effort. Like it's great to do if you can, but I mean, we're, the bar is really low right here, David, right? We're talking about firms just need to get on, like build a company page on LinkedIn. <laughs> Start with that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the kind of the, the next level for firms, so let's say a firm's online, they're making videos, they're creating content. Some of them are actually starting to uh, monetize their content, you know, almost have like an offline, you know, subscription model, or you can sign up and get the content, you know, uh, as a paid channel, if you think about it that way, premium content. Yeah. Yeah. So like if, if you, if you are a firm that specializes in a niche, right, which you have always, you've been speak you've been preaching that for forever, yeah. right, David? I consider you like the niche guy. So if, if your firm ought to be specializing in some sort of vertical, some sort of niche, at least one. And it's so easy. Just create content for that niche, right? Teach them how to do their accounting. And then a certain percentage who don't want to do it will come to you for services. Like it's, it worked. It worked for me 10 years ago. And the crazy thing is that so few people are doing it that it still works. Find either an app that you learn that you master that you specialize in and just create a bunch of like articles and videos, how to stuff on that. Put that on your website. You'd be amazed at how much traffic you get or do it for a particular industry. Yeah, just become an expert on one thing and put out lots of content for one thing and you'll probably get more traffic hits than instead of trying to put out, you know... All these, all these posts that are out here right now are all plays on SEO, right? Top 10 things for 2019, top this for 2019. And, and, and uh, they're all fluff and they, they won't get a lot of clicks after this week. They just won't. It's clickbait. You know, it's also easy, right? It's just like expected. And, 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 and I bit the bullet for everybody and went through all these this week. <laughs> so, Thank you, David. Uh, speaking of niches, did you, you had an article about MindBody? Oh yeah. Okay. So let's get to the actual like app okay. news, right? So MindBody is business management software for what you know it better than I do, David. What do they support? So a lot of you have probably used MindBody if you've ever been to a gym or a yoga studio, or uh, maybe you've been to a spa. And MindBody was kind of a kind of first to market, I would say, with like, having kind of cloud based membership software. Right. So I have a karate studio and I need to attract my members and bill them and maybe let them book classes online. So my body was kind of first to market, but they were very generic. Okay. Got it. So, so, so they did really, really well. I mean, I, I remember hearing about them a long time ago. They got very big. They went public in 2015. In 2017, according to the CFO article that I'm looking at, they reported revenues of 183 million. Wow. But then they ran into trouble. Yeah, and I, I feel like like my experience with the apps over time, I've kind of saw this happening. So my body, they're they're trying to be everything to everybody, right? And so they 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 had their enterprise clients. So you're talking the Orange Theory Fitnesses. Um, what's the big massage? Envy. Is it Massage Envy? 
Yeah, like, like, exactly. of those all places. those big corporate, so these enterprise level custom integrations, right? And they're never going to lose those customers. They're going to have them forever. Mm-hmm. But, but what's happening is at the next level down, they're getting sliced by deeper niche apps. Mm. So there's an app just for acupuncturists that not only does the online booking of the appointments, the payments from the clients, the CRM built in, it also keeps track of what needles you stuck in which client. Right. And then there was stuff just for uh, CrossFit studios and um, dance right. studios. You just slide in uh, there's stuff for a, a, a beauty salon over and over again. They, they just kind of got sliced by these niches. And, and I, I, I know I have this recorded somewhere, like maybe from two years ago, three years ago, where I'm like, mind body doesn't even know this is happening yet. Like they're losing clients right. at that lower level and they don't even know it. Well, and that's the risk of of building business management software, booking software, that sort of thing, because it's it's not nearly as complicated to create something like that as it is to create accounting software. So, yes, if you go too broad and too big, you could die a thousand cuts, right? When all these niche apps pop up that serve specific types of businesses when you're so broad. So anyway, that 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 makes a lot of sense to me, David. And I guess that is why, even though MindBody was seemed to be doing really well. Their stock has fallen almost 50% over the last three months. And that was through December 21st. Not sure how they're doing now. And they are going to be sold to a private equity firm, Vista Equity, for $1.9 billion. So not too great if you invested in MindBody at the beginning of the year. Lost half your money. It's still a better investment than Bitcoin. At least, right? <laughs> well, oh no, you got some. Yeah, it's better investment than Bitcoin, that's for sure. No, you got they got some of their money back because uh, it was a sixty eight percent premium on the uh, closing price. Interesting, right? Yeah. So, so not every every cloud story ends in um, great success. Although, who knows? Maybe maybe Vista will be able to turn this around. Yeah, and this article almost makes me want to change my prediction a little bit. So, I mean. I, Wait, what's your, well, what's your I, prediction? I, we didn't, I, I did you reveal it, yet? it yet? But I think one prediction that could be safe for people <laughs> is like, if you're like, if you're not a niche app, this is going to be rough. 2019 is going to be rough because commodity apps are getting sliced. They're getting sliced. I like that a lot. I like that prediction a lot. And I would expand it even though, David, I would say it's not just about being an app and it's, it's like knowing your customer, right? Regardless of whether or not you're a developer or an accounting firm. If you don't know your customer intimately, and serve that particular customer like really well, then you will you will be gone. And maybe that's not a 2019 prediction like for one year. Maybe that's many years, right? But I feel like the the general practitioners are going away. Oh yeah, I've been on that niche kick a long time. So, but that's not my prediction. I'm saving my my prediction for whenever you're ready. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what else we got here. Um, I've got. Was there any more? app news. I think that's it for the app news. Oh, no, here's one. We talked about fintech last week, week before. We've been kind of following this trend of apps and services like Square becoming more like banks, right? Uh, We discussed recently how Square applied to become Mm -hmm. a bank. Well, there's another app called Robinhood, which is, as I understand it, primarily an investment tool. It offers people a way to sign up for a brokerage account on their phone and then to invest money very easily, like seamless sign up, go on my phone, connect my checking account. Oh, now I have a brokerage account. Now I can invest. And somehow they're able to do it for free. No, no trading fees, right? Which is really appealing. And it's been very successful. Like a lot of people who've been using it the last two, three years, I, I, I've not used it myself, but I've, I've 
seen some buzz on it. People are really, they really like it. Yeah. Those are people that are never using it. Well, so and people have loved it. And then they made waves because on December 13th, Robinhood announced that it was going to be offering no fee checking and savings accounts with a 3% interest rate and no fee, no fees or account minimums. Like that's insane in the banking world, right? Like nobody offers 3% interest on no fee checking and savings accounts. Which is amazing. Um, like sign me up, but then something happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so this article appeared in, in CFO, uh, CFO.com on December 21st. And something felt weird to me about this. It's called Senators Prod Regulators on Fintech Oversight. So the article is about how seven U.S. senators sent a letter to regulators over concerns that Robinhood and other fintech companies may be avoiding oversight by reclassifying themselves as cash. What do they call them? Calling themselves in order to get around the banking rules or to, to have to become a bank. They're they're calling them cash management accounts, right? Which is a type of investment account that's meant to hold cash used to buy and sell securities. But those kind of accounts can also have checking features and savings features in a way. So that's how Robinhood is trying to become more like a bank without having to actually become a bank. So this makes sense, right? Senators would be concerned uh, that you know if too many of these fintech companies get into this, then oh, you know, people won't be protected and whatnot, right? Because they don't have to go through banking regulation. But then I thought to myself, what what senators are like actually paying attention to this space, right? It's not like they're listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, mm-hmm. right? So I here's my, my, my suspicion. It's that the banks are scared of this and that they called up the senators that they donate money to and basically told them, you guys need to get on this. And shut this down. There's no way that happened. There's no way. That's that's my tin that's my tinfoil hat. You know, I, I agree. Creation. That's how things this 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 stuff works, right? And so people that are a little bit disruptive are always going to get pushed back. Um, I actually think you know, I feel like the the loan game as well, right? Because not only that, you know, being a bank, but like Square and Intuit and On Deck and all these small business loan players are out there giving loans to small businesses, and they're kind of leaving the banks out of that game and that party. And you're probably going to see the same thing. Yeah. I think senators, well, like somebody's you're going to get, there's going to be a wind of this with the loan players too. Like you're going to see something similar. Well, the banks should be terrified because like, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, this sounds great. May switch, sign me up. So that's, that's what I've got. We got some QuickBooks online, new features we could talk about, and then we can move on to our predictions. That'll work. That'll work. All right. So this is just a quick cover of what happened in QuickBooks Online in December. I've kind of stopped paying attention to this little stuff. I don't know on our podcast. I feel like we tend to talk about bigger issues these days, but I really liked this one feature, uh, which is auto-collected contractor W-9s. This is a new feature uh, for December. QuickBooks will now collect a signed W-9 form from contractors you hire, sparing you the time to have to reach out and get that from them manually. So the idea is, I haven't actually tried this myself. I'd be curious to know if it how well it works. You enter the contractor's name and email in QuickBooks Online, and then QuickBooks reaches out via email to collect their W-9 info and get their e-signature, which I just think that's such a great feature. This should have existed years ago. And, and good job to the product team for building something that actually will save people tons of time. Yeah, 
Because it's a, it's a base workflow, right? Every time, you know, I've experienced myself, right? You, you know, around somebody and they're like, hey, please send me your W9. And then I just send it to them. So, I, you know, even on my side, I've had to like create a process, right? Like, where do I save the image of that so I can easily send it to people? But it's the same thing on the business side. Mm-hmm. So really, this is one of those ripple effects. Like, you're really going to save lots and lots of people time. And there's a similar feature that was also announced, which it's interesting because I don't even think this was previewed at QuickBooks Connect. This sort of just like appeared. It's called Manage Routines. Did you was this talked about at the conference? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to. I, I, I don't remember it. So you'll love this, David. This is it's like an automation workflow builder inside of QuickBooks Online. So this this is the sort of thing I think that's going to cause people to switch from desktop because now you can build customized workflows inside a QBO that will automate certain things, such as alerting customers to outstanding invoices. Uh, setting up bill reminders, all that stuff. It's available in this manage routines menu option in the top menu. Uh, and so one of the examples is a payment receipt email. You can create a routine. You call it, title it payment receipt in email. You can apply to specific customers who have uh, made a payment uh, of more than $0 or whatnot. And then it will automatically email them a reminder that they sent you a payment. It's like a receipt, right? So it's really uh, taking so so, so cool. I mean bank bank rules bank feeds and QuickBooks and Zero and some of these are getting really good now right and yeah and if especially if you take the time to create and tweak and squeeze some of your custom rules now it's like okay moving beyond bank feeds what else because if you, if you can create some custom rules for your bank feeds you could probably create other custom rules for other workflows. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's kind of a natural evolution where you're going to see the accounting systems really just keep automating more work, keep automating more work. Right. And especially if some of these basic flows could happen in product, you don't have to use like a Zapier or third party add-on. That's really, really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and this is where it seems that Intuit is really headed is, is attempting to make QuickBooks into a practice management suite, not just an accounting software. And this sort of automation could be broadly applied to so many different areas of the application. Just, just taking away all those clicks, right? All those, any, any, anything we have to do repetitively that we can automate, like, like a Zap, right? Like Zapier. Yep. It's going to make, it's going to make cloud accounting like 10 times more uh, powerful, right? So like we think it's powerful now. You can automate like half the work, right? 80% of the work. Imagine what you're going to be able to do when, when these automation features are in there too. No, totally. You ready for your predictions? Let's do it. Want me to go first? You want to go first? I feel like we oh. need a sound effect or something. From the future? Um, cue the sound. I'll find... No, this is not a future sound effect. This is more like a, you know, the trumpet envelope, blaring. Okay. I'll find something good. Yeah. Yeah. Drum roll. I will say mine first, and I'll give some background after I state what it is. So in 2019, this is the year B2B payments via credit cards are dead. You are not, if you have to pay another business or another business has to pay you, you're not going to let them pay you via credit cards anymore. You use credit cards with your client, with your, right. with your customers, right? Like front end, retail, like, the, but, but B2B customers, no more. It. Well, and what is, what is going to change uh, the that? fee structure, like, right? If you use the bill, a bill.com or a Veeam or some of these other vendors that are starting to pop up, you can pay people anywhere in the mm-hmm. globe now, especially B2B for almost free. Mm-hmm. Very reliably. And on yeah. top of that, you get all the the audit and the control and all that type of stuff versus the credit card. You're basically pushing it through and then you're giving up two and a half percent. 
Right. And especially with B2B when these are big transactions. And what really drove this aside, a LinkedIn post where I was searching around for everybody else's stuff and somebody somebody was upset actually at Intuit Payments because they didn't get approved. Mm. And it's a startup incubator thing. They're going to run a conference and they have some sponsors that need to pay them, which means they're probably charging sponsors yeah. $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 for a booth, whatever it might be. And he's like, they want to pay me on credit card. But you're especially if you're a an organization, maybe even a nonprofit, like that's a lot of money to, st- to give up to credit card fees. Right. And I'm like, but so I just replied to him, like, check out Veeam, check out bill.com. There's so many other options that are out there. And so mm-hmm. I think this is the year, like uh, small businesses discover, Oh, I don't have to, because there's, there's a ripple effect. I think with these services, like if I go to pay you via Veeam, right. You're going to get invited. Then you're going to go create a Veeam account. And then you'll use it to pay somebody. Like, I think this is going to be the tipping point this year where people are going to discover, oh, it's better for me to let small businesses pay me via other methods, not credit cards. Got it. Yeah, I think that is... Well, I like your prediction, David, because I think it's realistic and it could really tip this year uh, because, like you said, we finally have a lot of options. It used to be there really was only Intuit payments for the small business folks. And now you've got all these other ones out there using blockchain, using not using it, using doing international payments. You're right. Like this may be the year it changes. You ready for my prediction? So my prediction is kind of about technology, but in a lot of ways it isn't. So this was inspired by a study commissioned by Zendesk. They put out a press release on December 11th. Um, it's a study that attempts to quantify the business impact of customer service in the U.S., U.K., France, and Germany. They did a survey of more than 2,500 consumers in four countries and revealed generational differences in customer support channel preferences. The big takeaway is that, and this is not surprising to anybody who has a kid with a phone or is a millennial themselves, that millennials and Gen Z people love using chat on their phones. Live chat, social media, texting for customer service, a full um, 67% of U.S. respondents have used those, those tools for customer service, which is actually a lot. But among Gen Z and millennials, 46% and 47%, almost half, have used social media to communicate with customer service in the past year, compared to only 7% of baby boomers, right? So, so huge generational shift, right? And... Um, a third, more than a third of Gen Z consumers prefer social media for simple inquiries for customer service. So that's the takeaway is that the younger people who are on their phones, who are comfortable with those as a medium of communication, they want to be able to text the companies that they are working with. And so to me, um, what this means is my, my prediction, I don't know, maybe this is not a prediction. This is more of a long-term prediction. It's not a, a one-year type thing, but it's that it's that firms are going to have to figure out how to communicate with their clients and deliver really good customer service mobily. Like, I want to be able to text my accountant. Why can't I do that? There are, there are tools now that will let you do that without having to give out your personal cell phone number. So I think that's we're going to see firms adopting that type of, of ease. I have to agree with you. I've had thoughts on myself uh, years ago when I, when I first started seeing... Cause it, all, all our, the apps, right? It's, soft, it's SaaS software, software as a service, right? And really, if you look at the top apps that are the most successful, they provide very good service, yeah, right? Um, and so, and I always thought like, and I, and I remember having a conversation with Olark years ago. I was like, you guys should get small businesses just to 
put this on the website or accountants to put this on the website, you know, to have chat available for their own clients. And so maybe yeah. this is the year this happens. I, I, well, I'm agree with you on principle. Although, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm sort of like depressed now, given what we talked about earlier, like revealing that only half of firms are even on LinkedIn with company pages. Like, What are the odds if they're not on social media, they're going to have a chat option on their website, even just for like prospects, because that's the, that's the beginning. Uh, but the idea is don't just use it for your prospects when they're on your website trying to get them as customers. Use it for your customers too. The experience of working with an accountant should be like using an app. It should be that easy. It should be, I open up some app on my phone and I can just text with my CPA. I don't want to have to go to a computer or open up my email and like put in their email address. And maybe I've got a bunch of people that I'm working with at the firm, so I don't know who I'm going to email. So I'll just email all of them. It's just such a such an awful experience. Um, and there are tools now that will let you do that really easily. Actually, I found an article. I read an article recently. Um, that that I that proved this out. So Zapier actually put out a list of their fastest growing apps on their platform. And the, the fastest growing one this year by far was a chatbot. Is it intercom? No. It was oh. many chat. It gained users at a pace of thirteen hundred percent in 2018. Uh, they are an app that lets you make a chatbot for Facebook Messenger for your own business. You can train it to answer like basic questions or to help people subscribe to your uh, application or your service, your business, or, or buy things even. I, I think you can even do that out of the box on Facebook because I, I think for the cloud accounting cloud accounting podcast. If you go to our Facebook page, Facebook's always prompting me to create a chat interaction for people that visit our page. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it doesn't really, yeah. you know, <laughs> this maybe, maybe doesn't apply to us, but yeah, like I think you get, you can create some robotic automation chat facilities yeah. right through Facebook straight out of the box. So, so let's say like if I were, you know, I'm, I'm on the software side right now, but if I were back in public accounting practice at a firm that gave me a budget so I could do this, I would, subscribe to many chat and let's let's say we're serving you know like millennials doing cpa work for them doing tax returns build a facebook messenger chatbot using many chat and give people the ability to ask questions about the firm to to do support you know to those types of customers through facebook messenger and it's great because the facebook messenger is a great app it's already built right it already works uh people use it just leverage that don't even have to build your own app anymore. Yeah. And it, then it just makes you accessible because most people are on Facebook. It's easy to get to. No, I'd say yeah. jump and in. You'd be, so, you'd be so far ahead of any other accounting firm, right? Nobody else is doing this. If, let's say, somebody listening decides, hey, I have a prediction and they want to put a prediction out there, put your prediction, tag it with hashtag cloud accounting, hashtag podcast. That way, we can always see. Wait, no, isn't it? It's one hashtag, right? It's it's hashtag cloud accounting well, podcast. Could, you could use that as well. We'll, we'll take that. <laughs> I, I like the separated one out, and I have reasons for the separate ones. But you can do yes, any variation of that. I will find it. Um, you tag Blake or myself. Uh, Blake, your Twitter handle is. I am at Blake T Oliver, and mine's David Leary. So put out your prediction, everybody, and uh, we will maybe if there's enough, maybe we we we'll read them out next week. Yeah. record uh, our first show of 2019 will be next week That's the right. new year is here and i've got a little bit of editing to do on this one on the last one <laughs> we haven't put out the last one yet 
Wait, we did. No, no, I've got one. I've got one in the hopper still. Episode 50 is out. You have a different episode, a secret one? 51, episode 51 we recorded. I haven't put that out yet. I thought this was 51. No, this is I'm 52. So this is 52. Oh boy. All right. Time's flying. Great talking to you, David.